Matthew 26, verses 31 through 56 is the word of God for us today. It reads as follows. Then Jesus said to them, You will all fall away because of me this night. For it is written, I will strike the shepherd, and the sheep of the flock will be scattered. But after I am raised up, I will go before you to Galilee. Peter answered him, Though they all fall away because of you, I will never fall away. Jesus said to him, Truly I tell you, this very night before the rooster crows, you will deny me three times. Peter said to him, Even if I must die with you, I will not deny you. And all the disciples said the same. Then Jesus went with them to a place called Gethsemane. And he said to his disciples, Sit here while I go over there and pray. And taking with him Peter and the two sons of Zebedee, he began to be sorrowful and troubled. Then he said to them, My soul is very sorrowful, even to death. Remain here and watch with me. And going a little farther, he fell on his face and prayed, saying, My father, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as you will. And he came to the disciples and found them sleeping. And he said to Peter, So could you not watch with me one hour? Watch and pray that you may not enter, enter, enter into temptation. The spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. Again, for the second time, he went away and prayed, My father, if this cannot pass unless I drink it, your will be done. And again he came and found them sleeping, for their eyes were heavy. So leaving them again, he went away and prayed for the third time, saying the same words again. Then he came to the disciples and said to them, Sleep and take your rest later on. See, the hour is at hand, and the Son of Man is betrayed into the hands of sinners. Rise, let us be going. See, my betrayer is at hand. While he was still speaking, Judas came, one of the twelve, and with him a great crowd with swords and clubs from the chief priests and the elders of the people. Now the betrayer had given them a sign saying, The one I will kiss is the man, seize him. And he came up to Jesus at once and said, Greetings, Rabbi. And he kissed him. Jesus said to him, Friend, do what you came to do. Then they came up and laid hands on Jesus and seized him. And behold, one of those who were with Jesus stretched out his hand and drew out his sword and struck the servant of the high priest and cut off his ear. Then Jesus said to him, Put your sword back into its place, for all who take the sword will perish by the sword. Do you think that I cannot appeal to my Father and he will at once send me more than twelve legions of angels? But how then should the scriptures be fulfilled that it must be so? At that hour, Jesus said to the crowds, Have you come out as against a robber with swords and clubs to capture me? Day after day I sat in the temple teaching, and you did not seize me. 
But all this has taken place that the scriptures of the prophets might be fulfilled. Then all the disciples left him and fled. Will you pray with me? Lord Jesus, as we see this scene, it's just hard to imagine. But we know, Lord Jesus, that all you are and all you do is to your will and for your glory and for our good. You are the Lord. Your ways are perfect. So now as we study this text, Lord, I would ask you, please, guide us to truth and worship and repentance and faith for your glory. In Christ's name, amen. You can be seated. Over the past couple weeks, we've been watching in Matthew chapter 26 as the Lord Jesus has moved step by step closer to the cross and the ultimate fulfillment of his earthly mission. And in our text for today, we're going to get a glimpse of three scenes, three, three more steps, if you will, as Jesus walks toward the cross. We'll watch as Jesus warns his disciples that they will fail him. We'll see the prayer of Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane. And we'll see the betrayal of Jesus as Judas leads soldiers to arrest the Savior. And as I study this section, I'm consistently impressed with one common theme. God wants you and me to grasp that in everything that's going on, Jesus is fully in control. No scheme of Judas or the priests has caught Jesus by surprise. No failing or weakness of his disciples has taken him aback. No trap closes around Jesus that he could not have escaped had he chosen to do so. No. In all these events, the Lord Jesus has gone quite intentionally toward his sacrificial death. That is, after all, the reason he came to earth as a man. Jesus came to seek and to save the lost. He came to save a people for God from every nation. He came to be the Lamb of God who takes away our sin. So this morning, as we continue our study of Matthew 26, let's take a look at those three scenes that are before us. And as we look at those three scenes, we'll make several observations, if you will. But as we make those observations, let's remember that every last bit of this is supposed to remind us of the glory and the love and the sovereignty of the Lord Jesus Christ. So let's get started with scene uh, number one, the first scene, predicting the failure of the disciples. The first scene predicts the failure of the disciples. Start with me at verses 31 to 32. It says, Then Jesus said to them, You will all fall away because of me this night. For it is written, I will strike the shepherd, and the sheep of the flock will be scattered. But after I'm raised up, I will go before you to Galilee. 
So it's sometime on Thursday evening of the Passion Week, either toward the end of that Passover meal we talked about last week, or maybe as the disciples are on their way walking out of Jerusalem, crossing the Kidron Valley, headed to the Mount of Olives, Jesus has a solemn pronouncement for the disciples. He looks at his close friends, men who have followed him through miracle after miracle and teaching after teaching and event after event over the past three years. And Jesus tells them that tonight they're all going to fall away from him. A test is coming that the disciples are all to a man going to fail. Now, I can't imagine how shocking that would have been because if you think about these men, they were stunned at the meal when he predicted that he would be betrayed by just one of them. And no matter how many times Jesus had predicted his soon coming death, the disciples simply could not wrap their minds around that concept. But Jesus goes on to point out that this event, the scattering of the 12 disciples, the 11 who were faithful, that's something that must occur in fulfillment of the scriptures. And he quotes a part of Zechariah 13, 7. Jesus, the shepherd, will be struck, and for a time the sheep who follow him are going to be scattered. Now let's stop right here and make an observation. Observation number one, Christ fulfills Scripture. Christ fulfills Scripture. Time and time and time again, you see in the Gospel according to Matthew and all of the New Testament, that Jesus Christ knew that He came to fulfill the promises that God made in His perfect Word. This event, even the sad scattering of his disciples, is no exception. Everything is going according to God's eternal plan. Which should remind us, dear friends, that while we are New Testament Christians, we do not unhitch, detach from, ignore the Old Testament scriptures because they point us to the perfection of God and the perfect mission of the Lord Jesus. Well, Jesus has words of encouragement to follow up for his disciples in verse 32. He makes it clear he will be raised from the dead. Jesus knows what's coming. And he will spend time with his disciples in Galilee after his resurrection. Now, again, the disciples, they're totally blind to the point that Jesus is making. But the Savior knew he was going to die. His father would raise him from the dead. And he would minister to his disciples for a period of 40 days before taking his place in the throne room of God to await the triumphal return. But, but the disciples, as is so often the case here, missed the point. Are you surprised by that by now? No, not so much, right? Aren't you glad we never missed the point? <laughs> Maybe that's not as good as we think. Look at verses 33 to 35. Peter answered him, Love this. Though they all fall away because of you, I will never fall away. Jesus said to him, Truly I tell you, this very night before the rooster crows, you will deny me three times. Peter said to him, Even if I must die with you, I will not deny you. And all the disciples said the same. 
Peter speaks up. I heard somebody not too long ago refer to Peter as the Labrador retriever of the disciples. He's just eager and jumping right away. And what Peter says may feel, and it kind of does feel noble from one angle, right? I don't want to knock on him hard here. He's a little bit bombastic. He is certainly bordering on disrespect to his master here because Jesus says to the disciples, they're going to run away. And Peter pretty much looks Jesus in the eye and says, wrong, not me. All these other wimps might run away, but I'm never leaving you. I will die with you if I have to, but I'm never running. You are not right about me, Jesus. So Jesus looks at Peter and very clearly tells Peter that Peter will very clearly deny even knowing Jesus three times and all three of those denials will occur before the rooster crows right before dawn. And Peter persists in his promising, not me. I never run away from Jesus. And all the disciples are like, yeah, us neither. And that leads me to our second observation. Does that surprise you that we have an observation from this? Number two, Jesus knows you better than you know yourself. Jesus knows you better than you know yourself. See, Peter thought there was just no way he would ever walk away from Jesus. But I'm not the only one who knows the story, right? Peter did exactly what Jesus said Peter would do. Jesus knew Peter's heart better than Peter knew his own heart. And you and I must understand this. Jesus knows your heart and my heart better than you and I know our own hearts. Because human beings are very often blind to our own weaknesses and our own failures, right? I mean, just think about it for a second. If you, if you look around the room, you can see a lot of people, right? And you can see how they look. You can see who's awake. You can see who's maybe less interested in what's going on. Do you know who you can't see? You. You can't see you. Without the use of the selfie function on your iPhone, you don't know what you look like in this room. If you can't even see you here, what in the world makes you think you have a perfect view? of your hearts, your motives, your strengths, your weaknesses. See, we often assume, we know how we would react if we were placed in a certain situation. I'd have never done that. 
We think we know where our strengths lie. We think we know, oh, well, I am a little weak here, but I'm smart enough to watch out for it. But tell me the truth, friends, when you look at your life, how often do you know? Have you ever been surprised? Wow, I didn't see that coming. We often do not know ourselves. And Jesus makes it clear. We see it in John 2. Only God knows the hearts of men. Jesus, God in the flesh, does know your heart. So what do you do with that truth? Well, first of all, that's between you and the Lord, isn't it? But you should do this. You should admit that He knows you even more than you know yourself. And perhaps you should let that fact lead you to worship Jesus. He's worthy of it. Maybe it should lead you to surrender to, submit to Jesus, because don't you think he can plan your life better than you? Yeah. Never, never try to hide from Jesus. Never try to trick Jesus about your motives or your desires. How stupid does that sound? How many of you have done it? Be honest. How many of you have ever tried to say something? Oh, no, I mean it for this. Really honest, I do. And deep down, you know better. Don't play games with God. If Jesus knows you better than you know yourself, by the way, get this. That, that's all, that all sounds harsh, but get this. He knows how to give you greater joy, better joy, more fulfilling, more lasting joy than you could ever make on your own because He knows how to please you even when you don't. So trust Him for goodness sakes. Again, I'm feeling illustrative here. Parents... How many of you have had a piece of food that you know a child will like, only to have a child go, I don't like that, before they taste it? How often do you do that to the Lord? When the Lord tells you, this is the way of righteousness, peace, and joy, and you go, I don't like that, when you've never tried Trust Jesus. Submit to Jesus. Seek Jesus. Instead of seeking things you think will fill your soul, seek the one who knows you better than you know you. Now we've got to move to the next scene or we'll never get done. Praying in the garden, starting at verse 26, or sorry, 36. Sorry, 36. Then Jesus went with them to a place called Gethsemane. And he said to his disciples, sit here while I go over there and pray. And taking with him Peter and the two sons of Zebedee, he went to be sorrowful, or he began to be sorrowful and troubled. Then he said to them, my soul is very sorrowful, even to death. Remain here and watch with me. The word Gethsemane means oil press, like an olive oil press. Probably the name of a garden spot outside of Jerusalem on the Mount of Olives. It was a place Jesus loved to go to, to get out of the city, to be in the quiet. He prayed there. Maybe he taught his disciples a little bit there. Most people think that this garden spot was owned by a wealthier follower of Jesus who gave him access to it. You can go there anytime you want, Master. 
And so maybe the way that the scene unfolds is Jesus and the faithful 11 are walking and they get to the gate of the garden and Jesus asks eight of them, hey guys, stay here and keep watch because he wants to pray and not be disturbed by anybody showing up. Uh, And Jesus walks a little further into the garden with Peter, John, and James, who are his three closest friends in the group. Now, take some courage here, friends. Who did Jesus bring with him? Who catches you there? Peter? Peter, what did Jesus just tell us about Peter? You're going to deny me three times before daybreak. Peter just contradicted Jesus openly. Jesus says, come with me. Friends, understand, our God knows our weaknesses, and because of His grace, loves us greatly. He grants us mercies we don't even come close to deserving. We couldn't deserve them. Well, Jesus is, it says, begins to be very sorrowful or troubled, and the Greek there indicates that Jesus is surrounded by deep sorrow all around. And he says that he's troubled to the point of death. So get this, the crushing weight of the horror of what lies before the Savior, that crushing horror, that troubling sorrow is so heavy, it would threaten the life of a man not strengthened by God. You ever face sorrow that could kill you? So Jesus needs to pray And he wants his friends to pray with him, which leads me to a third observation for you and me. We need prayer and we need friends. We need prayer and we need friends. Jesus, the Son of God, believed he needed to spend time with his Father before facing the cross. And if the holy, perfect, glorious Son of God needed time to pray... How can you not? Talking to God is a privilege. It's not a chore. God opens the throne of grace to us and welcomes us in as we share with him our hurts, our needs, our troubles, our fears. And it is through prayer we are strengthened for that which is to come. And notice that the Savior wanted his friends If the holy, glorious, perfect Son of God wanted friends, how can we not? God did not design you to live Christianity alone. You need not to isolate yourself. You need to be with the people of God. You need to seek together with the people of God to do the will of God together. And this is one of the reasons why the local church and our relationship with one another are absolutely vital to your Christian existence. You cannot make it alone. I understand that there is the possibility someone will hear this on the internet and they are providentially hindered from gathering with people. To them, my heart goes out. But y'all sitting right here in Las Vegas, there are Christian friends and you need them. Verse 39, And going a little farther, he fell on his face and prayed, saying, 
My father, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as you will. Again, Jesus walks a few steps away from the disciples, further into the garden, and his posture as he kneels to pray, bows to pray, falls flat on the ground to pray, is a posture of deep distress, deep sorrow, and he pleads with his Father. Now, theologically, you need to know something right now. Jesus, God the Son, and God the Father share a divine will. There is no, there can be no separation of will between the Father and the Son. What the Father wills, so also the Son wills, so also the Holy Spirit wills. Because our God is one God, sharing one will of God, even as God is a holy trinity, three in one. You cannot see a conflict of will between the Father and the Son. That would be theologically unsound here. Now Jesus calls God my Father. That's very personal. In the model prayer, what did Jesus teach us to pray? Our Father. It's a collective. It's a group thing. But the personal claim, my Father, shows that Jesus has a unique personal relationship with God the Father because Jesus is the true Son of God. And Jesus, in his humanity here, beseeches his Father with a very simple request. If there is a possibility of accomplishing the one will of God in some other way, in a way that does not force the Son of God to drink the cup of the wrath of God for the sins that God will forgive, Jesus would prefer that option. Do you blame him? There is nothing about bearing the sin of the world that is a pleasant concept. There's nothing about having God the Father treat you as sin, as the sin he hates, as the sin he must justly destroy that appeals. It is horrible for you and me even to consider the never-ending wrath of God experienced by those in hell. Does that not make you want to tremble? How much worse a concept must that never-ending wrath of God be to the Son of God? Someone who has never sinned. Someone who's never failed. Someone who has never once been in any relationship with his Father other than a relationship of perfect love. It is the infinitely opposite extreme to which Jesus is going. So Jesus prayed, if it's possible, if there's another way to accomplish the one will of God, to save a people for God, without that cup going of suffering being poured out on Jesus, without him drinking that cup, may that cup pass from him. But Jesus immediately expresses for absolute clarity for those of us who hear about his prayer, along with the request, an absolute, clean, clear, perfect willingness to do the will of the Father, to yield to the will of the Father. Jesus was absolutely clear. He is not expressing a different will than that of the Father. He is just asking if there is another way possible. If not, so be it. 
The Son of God will always submit to the will of God before seeking anything like an alternative. So observation number four for you and me, surrender to the will of God. Surrender to the will of God. The Lord Jesus looked at the day to come and he saw the horror of personally becoming the sacrifice for the sins of every sinner God would ever forgive. He saw himself taking upon himself a punishment that is equal to an eternity in hell for you and me and everyone God would forgive. And Jesus still valued the will of God above avoiding that horror. And if Jesus values the will of God that powerfully, how much more should you and I desire to love and obey the will of God? That will of God will never call you or me to the level of suffering and sacrifice that the Savior went through because it would be impossible. Why would we not embrace the will of God? Then verse 40, And he came to the disciples... I so desperately want to add in the disciples, those men who just said, we're with you, Jesus, to the very end. He came to the disciples and found them sleeping. And he said to Peter, you know, the guy that would never leave him no matter what the others did. He said to Peter, so could you not watch with me one hour? Watch and pray that you may not enter into temptation. And the spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. So this agonizing prayer time Jesus has, he gets up, he comes back, he goes back to his friends, the men he asked to keep watch. And they're crashed out. Now, it was late. I would say it's between midnight and one in the morning here, give or take. They had just eaten a big meal. Guys, you know how it is when we eat a big meal, right? At the meal, there were four shared cups of wine. There was a lot of stress, strain. But guys, this is disappointing. There's no way to slice this any other way. And Jesus speaks straight at Peter, the guy that said, I will never run away from you, Jesus. And Jesus says, Peter, watch and pray. Yeah, your spirit, your inner man. Yeah, maybe you are willing to do what needs to be done. But buddy, your sin-ravaged flesh is weak. You need the working of God in you if you're going to accomplish anything. We need God. We need prayer. Just like we said earlier, right? So then 42 to 44 Again, for the second time, he went away and prayed, My father, if this cannot pass unless I drink it, your will be done. And again he came and found them asleep, <laughs> for their eyes were heavy. So leaving them again, he went away and prayed for the third time, saying the same words again. So Jesus goes back into the garden, prays a similar prayer to the first prayer. And then in the second prayer, though, we see something else, though. Jesus, you notice in that second prayer, he no longer even considers that it might be possible for him not to go through what is ahead of him. He, he's already surrendered. His prayer is not a request at this time for another way. The second prayer is a full-fledged prayer of surrender. It's a prayer in which Jesus expresses his complete willingness to do exactly what the Father wills. And when he comes back, he finds his buddies asleep again. Now, Matthew doesn't tell us about Jesus saying anything to them the second time. We see that in other accounts. 
Jesus goes back into the garden, prays a third time, then comes back again. Something I find a little interesting here. How, how gentle was Jesus right here? Do you see it? The kindness, the gentleness of Jesus? Now, Jesus did rebuke these men, and rightly so. Even so, Jesus let them sleep while he prayed. I, I would have thrown rocks at them. <laughs> he had asked them to keep watch and pray for him, right? But in the end, who keeps watch and prays? It's the Lord Jesus. He prayed while they slept. 45 and 46, Then he came to the disciples and said to them, Sleep and take your rest later on. See, the hour is at hand, and the Son of Man is betrayed into the hands of sinners. Rise, let us be going. See, my betrayer is at hand. So Jesus comes back. It's the third time. He wakes them up. It's no longer time to rest. It's time for the events of the evening to start moving forward at a much more rapid pace. I would guess at this point, Jesus could hear the sounds of a crowd coming near. Maybe Jesus could look through the trees and see flickering torchlight. Maybe he could catch the glint of the light of the moon on helmets and armor. Perhaps Jesus heard the voices, but Jesus knew his betrayer and soldiers were there. And Jesus said, what? The Son of Man is betrayed into the hands of sinners. Jesus is clear. This is a betrayal. This is evil. What's happening? And even though he's doing the will of God, Judas's betrayal is significant. It's damning to Judas. And those who come to get Jesus, he is being betrayed in the hands of sinners. There are sinners coming at the, lead, at the leading of a betrayer. But here's an observation for us, a fifth one. Jesus did not run. Did Jesus know they were coming? Yeah. Did he know how long he had to pray? You betcha, because he got up at the right time, didn't he? He knew the soldiers were coming. It was a dark night. He could have run, hop a fence, hide behind a tree. But when Jesus woke up his disciples, he didn't say, let's get out of here. Jesus knew that the only way to do the will of the Father, the only way Jesus could pay the price for your sins and mine was to walk directly into the brutal hands of the betrayer and his mob. So friends, let this make you love Jesus he was never captured. He, he willingly suffered on your behalf. Third scene, Jesus is arrested. The arrest of Jesus. 47 through 49 is our text here. While he was still speaking, Judas came, one of the twelve, and with him a great crowd with swords and clubs from the chief priests and the elders of the people. Now the betrayer had given them a sign saying, The one I will kiss is the man, seize him. And he came up to Jesus at once and said, Greetings, Rabbi. And he kissed him. You know, the Jewish leaders never wanted to arrest Jesus during the Passover feast. Remember that? 
But Judas felt here like he had only one shot. Earlier that evening, Jesus made it clear that Jesus knew about Judas and his plan. So Judas ran, and Judas got the soldiers and the police from the leaders, and he led them to the place he knew Jesus would likely go. It was a perfect place and a perfect time to arrest Jesus. The garden was out of the city. The hour was late. There were no crowds around. So even as Jesus gathers his disciples together and gets them up over at the gate of the garden, Judas arrives. And notice at verse 47 what do they call Judas? One of the twelve. That's the level of his betrayal, in case you're missing it. And Judas has with him a mob of Roman soldiers and temple police. It's a big crowd of armed men. One of the accounts uses the word cohort, that Judas had a cohort with him. If it's a full cohort, that's 600 men. It'd be a lot to crowd into that garden if that's how many he really had there. Obviously, the Jewish leaders did not want Jesus escaping. They did not want trouble from any of the followers of Jesus. And even, so, so they got a bunch of guys there. Armed men, tough men. Now the problem that they might face is it's nighttime, and yes, there's a full moon. Just the timing of this feast, it would have been a full moon night. But even with some torches, even with a full moon, it might have been hard for the soldiers to be sure they got the right guy. There were 12 to choose from, after all. So, you know, and Judas arranged a signal. I will go greet Jesus, the one you want to arrest, with a kiss of greeting. And this is one of the single most despicable acts in all of Scripture. Judas walks up to Jesus, disciple walking up to the teacher, and kisses him on his cheeks. Now, that type of greeting was not at all appropriate for a disciple to give to his master unless the master offered that greeting first. So the language, we have no reason to indicate Jesus reached out to Judas here. Judas comes up and takes a prerogative that is not his. And the language, the, the tense of the verb gives us the idea that it is a continuous, almost effusive Action! Kiss, 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 kiss. Not just one moment. So Judas's action, uh, ugly and hypocritical, looks to be done in mockery and insult too. This is a former disciple of Jesus, now possessed by the devil, betraying the Son of God with a mockery of friendship. How would Jesus respond? 50 says, Jesus said to him, Friend, do what you came to do. Then they came up and laid hands on Jesus and seized him. Jesus didn't try to hide. Neither does Jesus curse Judas or punch him in the mouth. He calls Judas friend. And then he basically tells Judas, get it over with. And they grab Jesus. 51. And behold, one of those who were with Jesus stretched out his hand and drew his sword and struck the servant of the high priest and cut off his ear. Then Jesus said to him, Put your sword back into its place. For all who take the sword will perish by the sword. Do you think that I cannot appeal to my Father and he will not at once send me more than twelve legions of angels? 
But how then shall the scriptures be fulfilled that it must be so? You know, it's interesting to me that Matthew does not record for us here the exchange between Jesus and the leaders that we get in John's account in John 18. See, in John's gospel account, Jesus says, who are you looking for? They say, we're looking for Jesus. Jesus looks at them and says, I am. And they step back and trip over each other and fall to the ground. The whole crowd goes down like dominoes. That shows, by the way, that Jesus could knock them over with the power of a word. They were not taking Jesus by force. And one of the disciples, we learn, of course, in another account, that it was Peter, grabs a sword, it would have been a short sword, and he takes a swipe at one of the men in the front, and the man, a servant of the high priest, ducks to the side, and Peter's sword takes off the man's right ear. So you picture Peter coming across, the blade comes across, he... <laughs> ear off. Maybe Peter thought, hey, it's time to fight. Maybe Peter thought, hey, if Jesus knocked these guys down with one word, I'm going to be pretty safe if I take a swing here. But Jesus tells Peter, stop it, put your sword away. Friends, let me tell you something. Christianity, biblical Christianity, true Christianity does not spread by the sword. And Peter, if he tries to use the sword this night, will die by the sword this night. And John then tells us that Jesus healed the man's ear. Very kind. Then in verses 53 and 54, Jesus confirms for us some of the earlier observations we've made. Jesus could have called on the Father and he could have been sent 12 legions of angels. For those of you doing the math, that would be 72,000 angels. Now, you all do remember that in one single Old Testament account, one single angel struck down an army of 185,000. Let's just say that's the rate. At that rate, 12 legions of angels could strike down over 13 billion people, nearly double the current global population. So just in case you're not sure, if Jesus had wanted out of the grip of those soldiers, he could have gotten away. But Jesus was allowing himself to be arrested. Why? Why? He tells you. He's fulfilling Scripture. Because the Old Testament really matters. The promises of God really matter. The law of God really matters. Jesus will fulfill all of the law of God. He was doing the will of God. He was being led like a lamb to the slaughter so he could bear the sins of many, as you see promised in Isaiah 53. But Jesus will point out how stupid this is, how foolish these men are who think they're being so clever and so sneaky in 55 and 56 it says, at that hour, Jesus said to the crowds, have you come out as against a robber with swords and clubs to catch me? To capture me, right? Really? Day after day, I stood in the temple teaching. You didn't seize me. But all this has taken place that the scriptures of the prophets might be fulfilled. Then all the disciples left him and fled. Jesus points out, if you religious leaders had any character... You would have arrested me openly. I taught 
every day in the temple this last week. I was right there with you making fun of you in the temple courts on Tuesday. You didn't lay a finger on me then. Jesus is no sneak thief. He's no bandit. He's no insurrectionist. They didn't need swords and clubs. But, and we see it again, Jesus is going through this that Scripture might be fulfilled. Jesus is perfectly doing what He and the Father agreed He would do from before the dawn of time. Jesus is fulfilling the covenant of redemption by doing exactly what God said Jesus would do. And then in a heartbreaking moment, all 11 of the faithful disciples break and run. Would you have been better? What's happening is too much for them. They're afraid. They're confused. No matter how many times Jesus told them this was coming, they couldn't imagine it. And then it happened, and they all ran. And the Savior stands alone, surrounded by enemies, betrayed by a friend, brutally handled by soldiers, and yet totally in control of the situation. Jesus stands alone. Why? He's fulfilling Scripture. He's doing the will of His Father. And He's doing what is necessary to save your soul and mine from the damnation we deserve. Observation number six. Jesus did the work to save our souls. That's the last one for today. Jesus did the work to save our souls. All we see here is Jesus taking the steps necessary to get to the cross. He was putting himself in the position to pay the penalty for your mistakes, for my evil choices. Jesus was making himself become a sacrificial lamb so God could justly forgive every single person who comes to him by grace through faith in Jesus Christ. That he could forgive all that the Father had to give to the Son. And the right response to this, dear friends, is simple. Repent of your sin and believe in the Lord Jesus Christ to be saved. Do not hear of the Savior walking through this horror and then turn your back. Reject your sin. Hate the fact that you have rebelled against God. Turn your back on your sin, fall to your knees, believe in Jesus, ask for mercy, and be saved. And if you know Jesus, follow Jesus. Love Him. Thank Him. Pray like Him. Submit to the Word of God like Him. Everything to fulfill Scripture. Value your friends like Him and live to tell the world about Him so that more people might be saved by grace through faith in Him and His finished work.
Let's bow together and let's pray. Lord Jesus, we thank you. You are good, you are gracious, and you, fully aware, fully in control, walked to the cross. And we say thank you. We praise you, we magnify you, we honor you. And we ask you this, Lord Jesus, help us to treasure the will of God the way you did. Help us to treasure the word of God as you did. Help us to treasure other believers, our friends, as you did. Help us to step-by-step walk to honor you. If anybody hears this and doesn't know you, I pray they will hate their sin, they will come to Jesus, and they'll find mercy. And for every Christian who hears this, may this lead us to step-by-step, piece-by-piece, turn our back more and more and more on our sin and trust the Lord Jesus who knows us better than we know ourselves. God, work in us, I plead with you. And it's in Jesus' holy name we pray. Amen.